This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review any single issue or two from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it on average. Were these issues worth 25 cents? Were they bargains at 25 cents? Or were they still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 142nd episode of The Quarter Bin, we are looking at The Original Ghost Rider Rides Again from Marvel Comics cover dated July 1991. This reprints Ghost Rider 68 and 69 cover dated May and June of 1982. And that part is actually important and we'll talk about it later. But first, a little feedback. We talked about Booster Gold in episode 140 and asked Dragon Con's Michael Bailey for comments about whether we should count that as Superman's first post-crisis appearance or not. And we had some additional responses to that. New feedbacker Herbert Fung, who bought and read this when it came out, had a few notes he wanted to share with us. While yes, this may have been the first post-crisis appearance of Superman, but because this issue was printed before Burns' reboot, it would appear that Jurgens drew from many pre-crisis details. It's similar to other characters who even years post-crisis were being rebooted and redefined and would eventually run into some problems, like Hawkman. The Shadow War clearly reflects the pre-crisis Hawkman and then Hawkworld, which was the reboot. And as far as the presence of professional football, Jurgens put this in to reflect a resurgence in the sport, as many things that society was accustomed to were destroyed in the post-apocalyptic world of Hex. The 25th century of Booster Gold was a recovery of that period, which was an explanation of why society hadn't been too much more advanced. During Volume 1 of Booster Gold, there have been a few references to the post-nuclear destruction that had destroyed much historical information and culture. All in all, a fun episode. I came in on this because you were reviewing this issue. That's very insightful, Herbert, and welcome aboard. Thanks for that info, especially about the football. I still am not sure I like it, but that does soften my resistance quite a bit. So glad to have you as a listener and a feedbacker. Scroll through the back catalog and look for some more episodes that interest you. And don't let this be your only contribution to feedback. Like I said, glad to have you on board and good to hear from you. And we heard from our knight from across the sea, Sir, Sir Martin of Grey, who said that he loved the Doombot introduction in that episode, which I think everyone did, in terms of the question of whether or not BG number six counts as the first post-crisis appearance, Sir Martin says it wasn't just a fan thing. It was acknowledged in the letter column a few issues later. Byrne referred to this issue in Action Comics soon afterwards. Dan Jurgens knew what he was doing, and it was pretty exciting to be able to pin down this issue as the first featuring the new Superman 
at the time. It wasn't a thing that people imposed on this issue later on. Well, thanks for that commentary, Sir Sir Martin. We talked about Chase number one last episode, and I'm glad I wasn't the only person who wasn't familiar with the comic. Jeremiah Jones Goldstein from Comics 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 dot blog called it a fine podcast discovering another very interesting comic that I've never heard of. Wicked fun episode. Now Shouting Street replied to that with You never read Chase? Absolute classic. And Sean Ross from the Nerdy Dads agreed, saying that Chase was a strong series start to finish. And Nathaniel Wayne, our reigning listener of the year, of course, had thoughts on that episode. Dear Professor, I always enjoy stories about the day-to-day work of people who live in superhero universes, but aren't all that super themselves. Things like this, or damage control, stories focusing on the Daily Planet or the Bugle, or even powered characters working more ground-level jobs like Misty Knight and Colleen Wing doing bail jumper recovery, of D-list villains and Daughters of the Dragon, or Jennifer Walters practicing superhero law as She-Hulk. All of those scratch that itch for me. I've always been fond of what I think of as small stories in a big world. Let me put a pin in that and say I really like that expression, Nathaniel. And I think I really resonate with that as well. Small stories in a big world. He continues, there's just something fun about finding out how the rest of the world deals with these people. And if you couldn't have guessed, I prefer a light tone on these sorts of stories, because sometimes they become how much it actually sucks to live here, nihilistic nonsense. And I'll pass on that because I'm not 19 anymore. For the record, TV's Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't really work for me on this level because it's just a little too high tech and a little too up to the task. Although Agent Phil Coulson is exactly the kind of character I like in these stories, so there's that. This sounded like a pretty solid example of this kind of story, so congratulations on the find. Great listening as always, geekily yours, Nathaniel Wayne, Council of Geeks. It really was quite a good find, Nathaniel. That's part of what makes cheap bins, so much fun, you never know what you're going to find there. And Lizanne Oswald, who, like Nathaniel Wayne, also has a YouTube channel, wrote in with a few quick thoughts on Chase after talking about some great Squadron Supreme deals she'd recently gotten. I always like to hear about your cheap bin finds, of course. I just heard the quarter bin pod on Chase. What No Mr. Bones in issue one? That's just wrong. See, now that I've read more issues of Chase, I kind of feel like Steve Rogers. I get that reference. I kid about that, but it sounds like a cool comic. Cool to see that she has Leech from X-Factor powers. That's cool. You know, Lizanne, that feedback, that's what was cool. Thank you. That last episode received social media love from... Dr. Ange, David Ace Gutierrez of the former Ultraverse Network, Old School Ross, Jerome B., Al from the Warlock Thanos podcast, artist Lauren Skinkus, both Chris and Professor Frenzy from the 
well, from the Professor Frenzy show. Manuel Carmona from Truthful Comics. Both Paul and Mike from Waiting for Doom and DCOCD. Comics in the Golden Age. Bob and Joe. Serge Bamba. Derek William Crabb from History of Comics on Film. Also a YouTube channel. Sir, Iowa's Joe. Billy D from the Monsters and Magazines blog. Ed Moore from Teal Productions. Randy Watts. Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us. Jeffrey Brown of the Valkyrie Quartet, the Irredeemable Shag, Lobo, Black Wolf, and Laurel, a.k.a. Mountain Flower One, from the Huntress Podcast. Thank you all. And all of that brings us to our first issue for the episode, or maybe I should say our first half issue for the episode. You see, the original Ghost Rider Rides Again, number one of seven, had a cover price of $1.50, meaning I acquired this from Pulp Reality at a discount of, well, see, here's the thing. It's possible I kind of cheated. Now, please, everybody, understand this is a DTS situation. Don't tell Stella. Because here's the thing. I picked up this issue at Pulp Reality, the used bookstore, uh, used record store, used DVD store, used comic store, in the town where my campus is. And they have, take a deep breath, 50-cent boxes. And that's where I got this from. Calm down. But. And it's a big but. Like, a really big but. It reprints two issues. So if you count this as not... The original Ghost Rider Rides Again, number one, which is a mouthful. But instead, think of it as the two issues it reprints, Ghost Rider 68 and 69. Two issues for 50 cents equals a quarter piece. And since we're covering both in this episode, it counts. Boom! So I'm counting it as 66% off the original $1.50 cover price for the 50 cents that I paid for the two issues that we're covering. I think I need to keep emphasizing that point. I spent 50 cents for two issues. I bought them as one, let's think of it as one bundle, if you will. One reprinted, stapled together, single-priced bundle, but still, we're counting them as two issues and treating them as such. Now we start with the cover of Ghost Rider 68, which is also the cover of the reprinted version in the reprinted, the original Ghost Rider Rides Again, number one, by Bob Budiansky and Joe Rubenstein. On this cover, we see Ghost Rider writhing, barely able to stand, and a large red demonic being is behind him, reaching out to him from the flame. Two text boxes, on the cover, tell us what to expect inside, featuring a startling, all-new retelling of the origin of the Ghost Rider, the terrible curse of Jonathan Blaze. I can only say that this cover worked for me. Despite saying part one of seven in the corner, that sort of thing might dissuade me at times, but it did not in this case. The promise of an origin intrigued me, and of course, that sneaky number one on the cover of the reprint intrigued me, as did the pretty epic piece of art that this cover is. I walked into that store with no idea that this comic existed and walked out of the store gladly 
having purchased it. By definition, that is a successful cover. In the interest of full disclosure, I used the Marvel Wikia as the jumping-off point for the synopsis that I prepared for this episode, which, I don't know if I mentioned this, contains two issues. So the story in issue 68, The Curse of Jonathan Blaze, was written by Roger Stern with art by the cover artists Bob Budiansky and Joe Rubenstein. We start in a church where the rains of spring have come. They are torrential driving rains pounding down upon this little church, loosening its shingles and rattling its windows. The only man present is walking down the aisle with a candle, dressed in priestly vestments. And then Johnny Blaze throws open the doors and approaches the man who's near the front of the church, near the altar. Sorry, Father, I didn't mean to startle you. My name is Johnny Blaze, and I guess you could say I'm looking for sanctuary. Johnny comments on how nice the church is furnished, saying that the parishioners must really be well off. The priest dismisses that, saying the riches of earth pale before those of the Spirit. Johnny decides he needs to make a confession. The priest sets him down inside the confessional, and Johnny tells him the story of his life. The priest patiently listens and hears all of the gory details, and he doesn't flinch. Johnny explains how his father used to work at the Crash Simpson Daredevil show, having never known his mother, but he defied death once too often and left me an orphan. He moved in with the Sampsons. I may have said Simpsons before. I think it's Sampsons. Samson's wife, Mona, and his daughter, Rocky. Well, Roxanne. Eventually, Johnny gathered up the courage to try rioting himself, but in a terrible twist of fate, the mother, Mona Samson, is injured when Johnny has an accident. And on her deathbed, she makes Johnny promise to never ride in the show, telling him the cycle game's no good. After Mona's death, he went off in all sorts of weird directions, including taking an interest in the occult. 90% of that stuff I read was pure bull, and the rest was disgusting. But through it all, though he worked on the cycle crew, he kept that promise to Mona and never rode. But Crash and Rocky both really needled him, questioned his courage, called him yeller. And so he started to ride again, first in private, and then as part of the show. But just as they book their biggest show ever, Crash reveals that the lab tests were bad news. And that the cancer has probably cut his life expectancy to maybe a month. And that night, Johnny, to the shock and dismay on the other side of the confessional screen... Johnny called forth the Prince of Darkness and asked for one request in exchange for his eternal soul. I only ask that Crash Samson be spared from the disease which is killing him. And since deals with the devil always work out exactly as the human expects, Crash survives the disease, lives a happy life, and everything goes great for Johnny from that night forward. Or not. The devil, of course, does keep his end of the deal because he usually does. 
Crash does not die from the disease, but instead dies trying to jump an unheard of number of cars. And that night, the devil came to claim his reward. Johnny's soul. The priest tries to talk him down from believing this illusion, but it was truth. As a result of that night, Johnny was bonded to a demon and became the spirit of vengeance, the ghost rider, complete with the mystic flame of hellfire and the ability to create a fiery motorcycle out of the stuff. As Johnny concludes his confession, he tells the story of how he came to be at that church that night, which was by finding a dying man in a ditch whose clothes had been stolen from him and he was left for dead. His priestly clothing had been removed from him. Before he died, he told me how his murderer had waylaid him and stolen his clothing. That last part puzzled me until I saw all the gold in this place. Quite a haul, isn't it? A fiery hand ghosts through the partition, and the faux priest runs out, toppling the altar on the ghost rider. The irony does not pass him by. The ghost rider upholding an artifact of the holy. The false priest runs out of the church and steals Johnny's cycle. Johnny crafts a new cycle of hellfire and chases the priest across the countryside and finally forces him off the bike. The man falls down on the railroad tracks, but instead of letting the train run him over, Ghost Rider sears his soul with hellfire. Death is too good for the likes of you. At dawn, the police arrive and find the man in a state of petrified catatonia. Johnny Blaze answers a few questions from the police, but they let him go. He turns and walks away. The end. Now, since this next story, the next issue, doesn't lead directly from this one, I'm going to talk about this one here, 68, and then talk about the next one later. Just a few things to comment about on this one. First, this is really good. I liked the framing story of the origin, and a confession is a natural way to have one character give a bunch of exposition, similar to talking to a psychiatrist or something like that. So it gives him a sort of natural chance to tell his origin. That part of the story really worked. And then you throw in the church setting, the irony of Ghost Rider being there looking for solace. That adds an interesting beat as well. And then when it's revealed that Johnny has known all along that this man isn't a man of the cloth, but is instead a thief and murderer, his being there makes even more sense. Because this man needs some vengeance to come his way. And Johnny doesn't even give him the mercy of a fast and bloody death. No. He gives him a case of the living hellfire. It's a rough sense of justice. But I can't say that it wasn't deserved. And we even get a coda where the police have discovered the priest's body. And therefore they know that this man is a murderer, etc. It's a closed case as far as they're concerned. And Johnny just moseys off to the next town, we suppose. In terms of the origin, I understand that there are a few retcons here. While also remaining faithful to the basic story elements of the original Marvel Spotlight number 5 issue, 
the basics of the plot are unchanged. The death of the father, the pact with the devil to save his adopted father from cancer, all of that is unchanged. The issue or the the controversy is the identity of the being with whom Johnny made that deal. In the original, it seems to me pretty clear that that entity was intended to be the biblical devil, at least the the medieval Catholic imagining of that being, the character that in Marvel Comics is the father of Damon Hellstrom, the son of Satan. Selling your soul to the devil, quote-unquote, that's an expression, that's a common lingo. And it's been part of literary imagination for a long, long time. So that's clearly the imagery, the reference that was being tapped into here. Now, I read an analysis of this issue that says that this retcon Satan into being the demon Mephisto, posing as Satan. Now, when I read this issue, I didn't see that unless it was in the character design of that devil character, who is designed to be more like the character of Mephisto. Now, that retcon, whether it's clear or not, was later confirmed in issue 76 of the next volume of Ghost Rider, where Mephisto appeared as the Satan who bonded the demon, then given the name Zarathos, into Blaze. Now, again, I'm getting this all secondhand, but according to a more recent issue, issue number five of Ghost Rider volume six, the demon with whom Blaze made the pact was in fact the real Satan, Lucifer, and not Mephisto. Now, part of this, I suppose, is an occasional reluctance to see the real devil, if you will, a certain caution with handling religious content of that nature. Marvel, to me, has always had a bit of a confused cosmology, although to be fair, I haven't really looked into it as much as I have the DC version. But back to the idea of the retcon, which, as I said, seems to have been actually retconned again, back to its original. And I guess you're supposed to go with the most recent version? Uh, By the way, this is why I do not get too hung up on continuity. So if it matters, I guess we can say that as of right now, September 2019, it can be presumed that the demon character to whom Johnny sold his soul was in fact Satan, was in fact Lucifer. Because as we sit here, that's the current version of the story. Now, in terms of the general concept of continuity, I think it was Len Wein who said, the, the late Len Wein, who said that from an editor's perspective, the problem with continuity is that it ties your best writer to whatever was written beforehand by your worst writer. So I try not to hold any particular continuity too tightly and am satisfied to let each creative team tell the story they want within some very broad guardrails of what makes that character that character. Another podcast I heard recently, and I really wish I could remember who it was, but I just can't. But on that, the comparison was made to characters of mythology or of legend. That in the stories, Zeus and Loki and Odin or Paul Bunyan or Johnny Appleseed, when those stories are told, they aren't always exactly the same. Details get changed. Important details in some cases. The two people were friends. No, wait, they're brothers. No, wait, actually, it was a father and son team. And if we're willing 
to think of comic book characters in that light as modern versions of mythologies and not think of them as perfectly documented nonfiction reporting of nothing but fact if we consider mythologies and that those stories aren't perfectly nailed down in the retellings that maybe we can relax a bit and just enjoy our comics because this comic Ghost Rider 68 had a lot in it to enjoy. So like I said, I thought this one was very good. But also, like I said, this reprint issue actually had two issues in it. So we're going to take a break here, and after that, we'll be looking at Ghost Rider number 69. Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait, be right back. I need my Avengers... Omnibus. Uh, where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner... Just say his name three times in an email and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah! Sorry, sorry, I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap's shield there? Anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! Ow! Oh! Ah! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die, They Just Get Reassembled and Sent to Another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover, and who might stop by? So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree-Skrull War, and, oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? <clears throat> hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. <sighs> Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. And we're back. The cover of Ghost Rider 69, which is included in this reprint, is by Bob Budiansky and Dave Simons, and it shows the rider on the flaming motorcycle jumping over some cars, but jumping back at him is a big old truck. This is it. The brimstone biker takes on a runaway earth mover. Day of the Demon. Night of Disaster. I know they're trying to pump up the action here. There are a lot of exclamation points, but this is a bit too US-1 for me, maybe mixed with the Marvel Comics team, Team America. After the epic story of last issue, this one does not fill me with confidence that we're going to be seeing quite as epic a tale here as the one we just discussed. The story in issue 69, Personal Demons, was written by Roger Stern with art by the cover team of Budiansky and Simons. 
We start with an old man pasting up signs for the coming Quentin Carnival. This is the owner, Mr. Quentin. But a maniacally laughing ghost rider bursts right through that fence. Covering a dozen miles in mere seconds, the ghost rider races down the highway and is noticed by a motorcycle cop, Officer Convy. He gives chase, but is unable to catch him and ends up riding right through the blazing bike like it was nothing. Now, mortal fool, he says from atop a nearby hill, perhaps you should have learned your lesson. He tells Convy that he envies him, in a way. When you tell your friends of this night, they will be mighty impressed, those who believe you. He laughs, shoots out flame to make himself another bike, and heads into where the carnival is being set up. Turning back into his human guise, Johnny notices that this is getting harder forcing the demons back inside of him, uh, making that transformation back. Johnny suits up for his next stunt and races his cycle through a gauntlet of dangerous obstacles. The other carnival folk wonder what a former champion biker like him, they say cyclist, but I'm going to change it to biker, is doing traveling with a small-time carnival. But... They're glad that they have him. Three people in the audience we focus on. Bert, Shirley, and Harry. They comment about Blaze's performance. Harry, a beer-swilling thug, says that if Blaze was really talented, then he wouldn't have had his title stolen by Flag Fargo. This is a reference to a storyline from about 25 issues before. If you ask me, he says between chugs, Blaze is just so much hot air. After the show, Harry wants to go to the bar, but Shirley wants to stay behind to get Johnny's autograph. Now, Shirley is technically Harry's girlfriend. Harry, again, is the drunken lout. But she's also secretly having an affair with Bert. Now, Shirley meets Johnny and flirts with him because a woman can never have too many men interested in her. Anyway, Johnny fails to take notice of her. Early the next morning, Harry returns to the carnival. It's hard to tell if he's drunk still or drunk again. Anyway, he blames Johnny for Shirley's failure to return home last night. And he takes a swing at Johnny, but Johnny gets him on the ground. Get off of me, or you'll all get what's coming to blaze. But the owner of the circus, the old man Ralph Quentin, shows up and drives Harry off by way of exercising his Second Amendment rights to keep and bear arms. Getting us to the scene on the cover, Drunken Harry steals a nearby earth mover, and after learning that he was out of ammo and his gun was empty, he takes the big machine and blows into the carnival tents with two wonks and a key rash. People scatter in all direction, and Johnny hops on his cycle. The drunken lout manages to position the blade just right to get lucky and run Johnny down. And his body falls between the earth mover's blades. Only one way to save myself now. I don't want to do it, but I must live! As Ghost Rider, he and Harry square off. So it's a pretty dramatic comic book boss battle. Supernatural being, the powers of hellfire versus a drunk 
behind the wheel of a piece of slow-moving construction equipment. So it seems like a fair fight. Ghost Rider and Drunken Harry battle inside the Earth Mover, which allows a pursuit vehicle to approach. It's Shirley and Bert. And because she's not using her seatbelt in the convertible, she flies out of the car when it runs into a big rock. Let that be a lesson, lovely listeners. Ghost Rider is able to defeat the drunken lout inside the cab and tosses Harry out, but he manages to hold on to the side of the truck, the outside, and he sees dead ahead. Bert! Shirley! Bert runs away, assuming Harry has discovered their affair and is planning to run him down. Because, if you think about it, that is exactly what drunken Harry would do. Now, despite the drunken part, he does make it back into the cab, but Ghost Rider threatens to run over Shirley himself as a further way of punishing the drunken lout. Instead, he slams on the brakes and the machine stops just in front of her. The sudden jolt sends Harry tumbling once more from the high cab, gripping him by both arms. Ghost Rider infuses Harry with hellfire, scarring him right down to his very soul. In that horrific moment, Harry Donovan looks into the blackest depths of his soul, and he cannot stand what he sees. Whatever happens, wherever he goes from this day forward, Harry Donovan will live with the scars of this night. But Johnny Blaze will not know that. He may never know that the Ghost Rider has, this night, destroyed another demon, a more personal demon, Harry's demon. The end. Okay, so the written prose on that last page, a lot of which I just recounted for you, that helps. It helps a lot. Yes, it's a bit over the top, a bit melodramatic, sure. But without that, this issue is nothing but Killdozer 2, Johnny Blaze Strikes Back. Because at its core, as I said during the synopsis, this is a demon-empowered being of hellfire versus a drunk construction worker. It's reminiscent of some of the early 1970s issues from DC, I'm thinking of action comics maybe that I've read, where Superman goes up against some fifth-rate mort. Or maybe it's the Flash versus the Turtle. But at least the Turtle, or Black Rock, or anyone else I can think of, at least they have powers of some kind, at least temporarily. Totally sober, this guy would be no match for Johnny Blaze. Johnny's much younger. He's a professional motorcycle racer. He has balance. He's in good shape. I'd take him in a fight any day. Then you add drunken before the other guy and supernatural powers to him. It's not a fair fight. So in terms of story, this is just not good. It's borderline laughable. If this doesn't show up on clickbait lists of you'll never believe who the villain was in this issue, it's only because Ghost Rider doesn't have high enough of a profile to be worthy of clickbait. Sorry, Nicolas Cage. I'm a big fan. Truly, I am. But of course, story is different from script. The delivery of that story. And that makes the difference here. That lifts these 22 pages up. The bits at the circus. The folk wondering why Johnny is even working there. Johnny's battle with the demon inside of him. The characterization 
of the three circus fans, the secret affair, the jealous drunk, and then that almost overwrought prose ending. Let's just put it this way. Roger Stern did the best that he could with this particular story idea. The problem is, the story idea is so limiting that there's a ceiling for just how good you can do with this story, even when you do the best you can do. In other words, you can play the cards you're dealt very well and still lose the hand, much less the entire poker match. Also, now this applies to both issues. The flaming skull effect is pretty good. It's effectively creepy and eerie, especially when Ghost Rider is kind of happy or at least kind of smiling. And the Hellfire bike, that's not bad either. If I were an art-first person, I'd have an easier time coming to a conclusion about this issue. But the story premise, that is a real anchor on this story, no doubt about that. So this one isn't all that great, but I really enjoyed the first one. And how that combination shakes out in my head, that will definitely affect the verdict. The verdict on Ghost Rider 68 and 69, a.k.a. the original Ghost Rider Rides Again, number one of seven. Well, since I'm already kind of, just a little bit, depending how you look at it, cheating minorly by covering this, but I am treating it as two issues and therefore we're giving two verdicts, which is what we often do when we have multiple issues in an episode. It's just that these... Multiple issues were purchased as one issue. But again, enough about that. Why do you keep bringing it up? I mentioned that this was one of seven, by the way, the, the, the reprint issue. And what they did was reprint the last 14 titles of the issue, uh, two stories at a time. So back to the two issues. First of all, no doubt, Ghost Rider 68 was an excellent issue. Definite quarter bin deal. No doubt about that. Now... The next one, Ghost Rider 69, that's a much closer call. But I think the scripting, and I really do think the art, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give that some credit here. I, I think that might push it to the edge, maybe just a little bit over. So both of these are worth a quarter individually. And of course, if you find the combined version for 50 cents, like I did, I'd take a chance and pick it up. And that wraps up our coverage of Ghost Rider 68 and 69, a.k.a. The original Ghost Rider Rides Again, number one of seven, bringing Quarterbin Podcast 142 to a close. Next time, we'll be going obscure, like really obscure, like maybe the most obscure book we've covered on a regular episode of this podcast. We'll be looking at Gods for Hire, number one, from the teeny tiny Hot Comics, cover date at December 1986. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the episode Ghost Rider or any other Nicolas Cage movies or the podcast in general, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter band. Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts 
Uncovering the Bronze Age, and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.